Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Genesis 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. If you were here last week in chapter 16, um, Abraham, or Abram as he's called there, was uh, 86 years old at the end of that chapter when Ishmael was born. So between the end of chapter 16 and the events that we're going to look at here in chapter 17, 13 years have elapsed. 13 years. Remember, he was 75 years old when God first, when he left Haran for Canaan. So how many years has he, he's had this promise of these descendants and, and, and none yet. And so, of course, we talked about last week, they, they kind of took matters into their own hands and, and had Ishmael through Hagar. Um, but here, 13 years since that episode has happened. And now the Lord appears once more to um, Abram. And he says, I am almighty God. God. The Hebrew is El Shaddai. It means the almighty, most powerful God. Uh, The almighty God who's able to fulfill his promises. And that's the message that God is communicating to Abram here. And he says, walk before me and be blameless. Now, this isn't like a conditional covenant. If you walk before me and be blameless, then I'm going to do this. No, God's already promised, I'm going to give you a descendant. But now he says, but now I want you to walk before me. It's an unconditional covenant. But still, God wants... Um, he has something for Abram to do, and that is to walk before him and be blameless. Some of your Bibles, if you have a King James, I think, I don't, I don't know, but I think it says perfect, right? Anybody, you know, somebody's nodding, yeah, okay. Um, but the, what the word means, so God says, oh, I want you to be perfect. Well, what it really means is complete or whole. And I like what Matthew Henry says regarding this verse. He says, be inward with God. Be inward with God. What what does that mean? Well, that means to walk before God in sincerity and in integrity. In other words, you think, you speak, you act, everything as if, as the reality is, that God is watching you. God is observing your very life. And so everything you do, you're you're basically being inward with God. You're not not just doing things on the surface, you know, to, to please God, but inwardly your heart's in a different place. No, you are completely holy before the Lord God. That's what God says. Walk before me and be blameless. And he says, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Verse three, says then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying as for me behold my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations I love that Abram fell on his face you know that that is a very biblical response when God appears to you and things it's to fall on your face you know if you're reading through the Bible and this is just a side thing it's kind of one of my pet things but you'll never read of people falling backwards before in the presence of the Lord they don't fall backwards in the Bible you never read about it you they always whenever you find it in the Bible they're always falling on their face with their face to the ground before a holy God verse 5 so god's speaking to abram and says no longer shall your name be called abram but your name shall be abraham for i have made you a father 
of many nations. Now, I went to the commentaries. Man, there's all kinds of different opinions about what this means, the significance of this. I went, and I I like what Chuck Smith says. Pastor Chuck Smith, he's gone to be with the Lord, so he probably knows for sure now. But this is what he said. He said the Hebrew letter H, which is where it's added into Abram's name, is made with the sound of the breath. It's like, And uh, he says, God added the sound of breath into Abram's name or inserted himself, you might say. And why is that? Because the word, Hebrew word ruach is the word for breath, but it's also the word for spirit. And so God in this, in this picture inserts the, inserts the spirit into the name of Abram and changes it to Abraham. And so I thought, well, that's kind of cool. Um, and notice he'll do the same thing for Sarai too, inserting his spirit into their name, into her name as well. And uh, what is he doing? He's basically bringing into their lives a new dimension of life after the spirit. And so he says, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. Notice that's past tense. I have made you a father of many nations. I love it. Isaiah 46, 9. God declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done. See, as far as God's concerned, man, it's a done deal. It's his promise. It's done. For Abram, it's like, he's still waiting for it to happen, but God's like, I've done it. It's past. Verse 6. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. That just really jumped out at me as I was studying this passage of Scripture. You know, our children, now some of us have grown children. My children are grown, so they've already got their careers, so I kind of know about them. But I don't know what kind of careers or what life my grandchildren are going to hold. Some of you have younger children. You don't know what's going to be, you know, what's in store for your children. Some of your children may be very influential, They may end up being in politics. They may end up being in government. They may end up being in very influential positions in life. And, you know, when we pray for these kids and, and we have them up here and then we're these, those of you that are ministering to the kids in children's ministry, it's such a valuable ministry what you're doing. It's God will bless you. I guarantee it for doing that. But it's such an important thing because you don't know how influential each one of these kids are going to be. And so what are we planning into the, into the hearts and the minds of these children, your own children? What are you, what are you instilling in them? Are you instilling in them a love for the Lord and a, just a hunger for his word and stuff? Or is, are you instilling in them just a thing for the world, man? You know, we just go to church once in a while when it works in our schedule. Otherwise, man, you know, we're, we're out doing the weekend thing, you know, there's a lot of people that do that. Um, so, you know, are we raising godly offspring? And so I, Abram, you know, in, in his wildest imagination, he probably couldn't even fathom all the kings and all the nations and all the people that would descend from him that God would do to him, through him. Verse 7, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, uh, all the land of Canaan, and as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. You know, this, the, the land that God gave to the nation of Israel, notice it's an everlasting possession. 
Yeah, they, they were booted out of the land for a while. They were in exile for a while. But, man, in our generation, God has brought the nation of Israel. They, they're in existence again. And what a miraculous thing. That's why I think we're so close to the, to the return of Jesus Christ. But that, you know, Hamas and, and Hezbollah and, and uh, um, uh, Fatah and all these different groups of people, you know, this is the Palestinian land. This is our land. Well, no, God gave it to the land of nation of Israel, and it's their land. It's an everlasting possession. God has an everlasting covenant with the people of Israel. And I have news for you. The church has not replaced Israel in prophecy. The church is not. God has a plan and, and a purpose for the Jews themselves. So, now that you know where I stand on that. (laughs) Verse 9. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male in your male child in your generations, he who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant, he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people he has broken my covenant can you imagine abram or abraham now of course he's known as abram right he goes off he's he meets with the lord and he comes back and can you imagine hey like sarah hey what did abraham tell or what did the lord tell you you know his people all you know he had a lot of people around him all these people you know hey what did what did the lord say well uh first of all uh no i'm no longer abram all right i'm I'm abraham (laughs) they're like oh and sarah we'll find out later her name you don't call her sarah either she's sarah uh and, oh, that's it? He goes, well, no, not exactly. <laughs> also, all, each one of us men and children, male, child, we all have to be circumcised. You what? <laughs> huh? What does that have to do with anything? And, of course, I could just see Abram saying, well, the Lord God said that the, 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 the physical cutting away of the flesh, he says it's a sign and a seal of the covenant between he and us. Because the Lord said it should be a sign of the covenant between me and you. You know what Paul writes in Romans 4.11? He says that the sign of circumcision is a seal of the righteousness of Abraham's faith. You know, for the believing Jew, circumcision, the cutting away of the flesh, was a sign and a seal of the righteousness of faith. Now what's interesting about that, where have we heard of a sign and a seal in the New Testament? Have we heard of that? I, you know, it's like, I've heard it. I, I know there's something in there. And I started doing a little digging around. And, you know, it's interesting. I think this would make an awesome Bible study, a, a side study. If you're a student of the Bible, this might be scripture to, to dig into. But, you know, the New Testament believer also has a sign and a seal of their righteousness by faith. And what is that? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. Listen, in Ephesians 1.13, Paul says, Having believed, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. In, Hebrew, in, excuse me, in Ephesians 4.30, Paul says, And do not grieve the Holy, of, Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It's a seal 
on you and I for our salvation. Um, but how is it a sign of our salvation? This is what gets kind of interesting. I think it's through the gifts, the manifestation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14.22, speaking about tongues and prophecy, for example, those ones in particular. He says, therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. So tongues are a sign. The Holy Spirit's a seal, and tongues are a sign to unbelievers. Prophecy is a sign to believers. Paul writes this in Romans 2.29, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. It's interesting, because in Philippians 3.3, he's speaking to believers, and he says, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Those of us who worship God in the spirit, we're the circumcision. We have no confidence in the flesh. And so just as the cutting away of the flesh was a sign of the old covenant that God made with with the Jews, worshiping God in the spirit and having no confidence in the flesh is a sign of the new covenant for you and I as believers. Because to be honest with you, there's no provision for the flesh when the, gifts, when, the, when the gifts of the Spirit are manifested. Now, having said that, you've probably seen abuses of the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit. And definitely people are in the flesh. You've seen that. I've seen that. Um, but this is what Paul writes. He says in 1 Corinthians 14, 14, he says this. For I pray, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. In other words, when, when, when the gift of, of tongues is being used, he says, my, my flesh, it does not understand it. There's, I, I can't make sense of it. In fact, my flesh wants to say, that's just gibberish. And it just, it's nonsense because the flesh can't understand it. And so exercising the manifestation of the gifts of the spirit of the, through the speaking of tongues, man, there's no room for the flesh. It's just my spirit speaking, the Holy Spirit speaking to God. And it becomes obvious when somebody is trying to move in the gifts of the Spirit through the flesh. It becomes obvious there. So it's an interesting thing. Like I said, it's, it's a, we could go off on a tangent here. I don't want to do that, but, but it'd be an interesting Bible study. I'd encourage you maybe to dig into that. Um, the correlations be between circumcision and the, the filling and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Notice with circumcision here, God also says, He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Why eight, the eighth day? Well, first of all, it's symbolic, right? The eighth day is the day of new beginnings. But you medical people might enjoy this, or maybe you already know this. Uh, David Guzik's commentary says this. Macmillan, whoever he is, um, also notes newborn children have a peculiar susceptibility to bleeding between the second and fifth days of life. It seems an important blood clotting agent, vitamin K, is not formed in the normal amount until the fifth to seventh day of life. Another blood clotting agent, prothrombin, is at its highest levels in infants on precisely the eighth day of life, making the eighth day the safest, earliest day to circumcise an infant. Isn't that a coincidence that God just picked that? Wow, he's, that's pretty lucky on God's part, huh? <laughs> I'm being very facetious here. It's just cool when you read stuff like that. 
Now, I know that now they give shots, right, to kids, so it's, it's a little bit. But back then, they didn't have the vitamin K shots that they gave to infants. So it would have been very important that they would have done it on the right day. And God, you know, of course, he's, he's made us. He's designed us, so he knows intimately what's best. Verse 15 Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. You know what I think is really cool here? God did not only change Abram's name to Abraham and then leave Sarai's name as it was, but he changed her name as well. The exact same letter, adding the H inserted. And I think it's a beautiful picture. You see, God's intent for marriage is that both the husband and wife are spiritually on the same page. They're both spiritually. They're both filled with the Spirit. They're both being led by the Spirit. And they're both being sensitive to the Spirit. That makes for a very good marriage. It's very difficult when one spouse is, is just growing and the other spouse is not. It, it, it's, it's a tough thing. Um, that's another reason why being unequally yoked uh, in marriage, just walking into it, man, you're just setting yourself up for heartbreak and for <coughs> failure. You're just setting yourself up for a train wreck. And, those, and I know that there are people here, even in our fellowship here, who are unequally yoked. Not, you know, they, they became believers after. And, you know, and, they're, and so they're, they're in that situation. It's not necessarily their choice. And they could probably testify to you. That don't, if you can avoid that, man, marry a godly husband or a godly wife. Do it. Don't, don't make that mistake. So it's a beautiful thing. God wanted both Abraham and Sarah to be on the same page. So they're both, they both have that, 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 that H added to their names. Verse 17, Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? I love it. Abraham falls on his face again. Again, great position to be in the presence of the Lord. And he laughs. Now, Sarah's going to laugh, we'll see in a little bit later, and she's going to be rebuked by the Lord. But if you notice, Abraham was not rebuked. Why? Uh, well, I'll be honest with you, it beats me. <laughs> I mean, you can look at the words, you can, you can you try to figure out by the wording and try to get I, I looked at it and go, man, I, I don't see why. But you know what? All I can do is refer to what Scripture says about it. <coughs> That's the safest place to go. So what does scripture say about it? Well, Paul writes about it in Romans 4, verse 17 through 21. He's speaking, he says, as it is written, and he's quoting this passage, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And listen to this. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old. So he's talking about this, this incident when Abraham was 99 years old. He was about 100 years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. So based on Romans chapter 4, Abraham's laugh 
wasn't one of unbelief. It wasn't one of mocking or like, I can't believe it. It must have been of joy. It must have been totally a joy. You know, the Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes that there's a time to weep and a time to laugh. And laughter's good sometimes. Jesus said, blessed are those who weep now for they shall laugh. You know, God has given us the gift of laughter. I mean, God has a sense of humor. Look, I'm here. (laughs) God's got a sense of humor um, to to make me a pastor here. But, you know, uh, laughing's good. I, I grew up in a home, we laughed a lot. We just, in fact, sometimes we laugh too much. You know, we get a little too, you know, get a little hard on each other sometimes. But, but I was, I grew up in a home. We laughed, we laughed a lot. My parents laughed. Um, you know, it's physically healthy to laugh. Now, I didn't do a study on this, but I'm, I, I, I've heard it. I believe it. It's good. It's healthy to laugh. Um, but it's also emotionally healthy to laugh. You know, I know some people that are so uptight, they never laugh at themselves. They're just, they're so serious. They're just, it's good sometimes to laugh at yourself, man. It's good to just like, can't believe I did that. (laughs) Look what I did. You know, it's, it's, it's okay. Uh, Some people are way too serious and I think it's spiritually good to laugh for joy. Now, (laughs) I just want to say I'm not promoting holy laughter. Okay. I mean, I'm not getting into that. You know that to me, that's a that's a work of the flesh, totally. But but it's good to laugh for joy. It's good to be joyful as believers. Man, we're saved. We have heaven. We have eternity. We have a hope, and and, and it's good to be joyful. And so it's good to it's good to laugh. You know, it's sad today. Uh, what passes for humor? You know, it used to be the the sitcoms and, and the comedy shows and the movies. You know, they, they some of the old stuff is just that they, they were funny, and now the things that people laugh at and mock and deride uh it's it's sad as what passes for humor today it's like man i don't find any humor in that and yet people are yucking it up over the over sin basically in fact you know they'll they'll laugh at 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 those that have saved themselves for marriage you know that's like oh i can't believe somebody would do that oh you know it's sad it's sad but laughing for joy there's a time to laugh there's a time to laugh it's good to laugh verse 18 and Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Now, it's interesting because some people paraphrase that word. Because maybe remember when, when, when Abraham and Sarah, they had Ishmael, you know, it was like, God's given us this promise, but he hasn't done anything. So maybe we need to help God. So let's, let's make it happen. Let's have, have a son through Hagar. Uh, and so it was really a work of their flesh. It wasn't a faith that they had Ishmael. So some people paraphrase this and say that Abraham's like, oh, that my work of the flesh might live before you. And uh, it's true, isn't it? Sometimes we do that, right? Sometimes we, we make a choice. We do something in our own strength and we say, Lord, please bless what I've done. Please bless the choice that I've made. You know, uh, we, we don't, maybe we haven't done something by faith, but by our own strength. And then we ask the Lord to bless us. And, and so that's true. I mean, I, I look at my own life. I know I've done that in the past. Um, but I think this is more, I don't know that that's necessarily what this, what Abraham is conveying here or, or what his heart is feeling. I think it's, this is more just the intense love that Abraham has for his son, Ishmael. I mean, that's his son. He's 13 years old. He loves his son. He, hasn't, he didn't have any children before that. Now he's got a son. And so I think he's just intense love. And so he's hearing these promises. God's giving him these promises. And notice God never mentions Ishmael. All right? 
never mentions Ishmael. He just talks about this son that Sarah's going to have. And, and I can imagine Abraham's like, yeah, but I love my son. What about my son, Lord? And so I just think it's an intense love that Abraham has for his son Ishmael. Verse 19, then God said, no, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. But then God's so gracious, isn't he? And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him. Again, past tense. I have blessed him and will make him fruitful. Excuse me. And will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. He says, Sarah, your wife is going to have a son. And by the way, you're going to name him Isaac, which means he laughs. You see, they both laughed, and, and God's going to just remind them about this, this whole thing. It's just going to be a memory. Every time they, they go, hey, where's laughter? He's right over here. Hey, laughter, come in for dinner, you know. Um, it's always going to be a, a reminder there. And God says, I'm going to establish my covenant with him. But I've heard you, Abraham. As for Ishmael, you know, Ishmael, listen, Ishmael was a product of a lack of faith, okay? He was totally a product of the act of the flesh. It was no, there was no faith. It was just, let's make this happen here. But notice that the Lord doesn't take it out on Ishmael. I love that. God doesn't take it out on Ishmael. Ishmael had nothing to do with it, right? He was just, he, he's just there, you know. Um, and, and so the Lord says, I have, past tense, blessed him. And he says, I'll make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. In fact, he'll, have, he'll beget 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. And God has honored that promise. I mean, the, the Arab nations, they've all descended from Ishmael, and God has blessed them. I mean, they're the guys that have all the oil. <laughs> I mean, they, God has financially completely blessed them. So God was faithful, and God was merciful to Ishmael. He had nothing to do with what Abraham and Sarah did. And God's just a gracious God and a loving God. I, I, I love that about him. Verse 22, Then he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. Verse 23, so Abraham took Ishmael his son and all who were born in his house and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very same day as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin and Ishmael his son was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very same day Abraham was circumcised and his son Ishmael and all the men of his house born in his house or bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. Back, I don't know, 30 years ago, roughly, something around 30 years ago, we were just newly married or so, and uh, <clears throat> I, had a, I had an injury, and I had to have surgery, and I had a double hernia surgery, right? And uh, so I had the surgery. It was, we had to drive like 16 miles to where the surgical center was, and then we had to drive home, and it, was a, it, w- it wasn't an overnight thing. They did the surgery, and then they kind of, it was, the, the hospital was like a, shaped like a horseshoe, and upset. You went in one end, they, they just kind of pass you through this thing, you go through one place, and then there's a garage in the other, and they pick you up. And uh, they went through the surgery, uh, and uh, you know, got, got to the other end there, and uh, they're like, okay, it's time for you to go. And they, I'm getting up off the gurney, and I'm, pop, I'm feeling things popping. 
Literally, I'm feeling things popping. I'm like, well, that's kind of weird. Well, it turned out I popped a bunch of stitches. I wasn't ready, but that's the way. They, I mean, the, you know, the insurance, you know, you got to get them out. And that's the way they do it in California. At least that's what they did it where I was at. I had that surgery. For a month, I was on my back. I mean, it was, I was, I was so skinny, which is hard to believe, but I was really, really skinny. And I couldn't even bend up because I was like, I'm pulling skin every time. You know, it's like these big staples and stuff. And uh, so it was, it was, it took me a month. Actually, it was longer than a month. I was out of work for, I think, six or eight weeks or something like that. Um, Total pain. Well, during that time, or actually shortly after that, our son, who was, I think it was like four or five years old, he ended up having to have the exact same surgery for hernia. And that afternoon, he's like, Dad, can I ride my bike? And I'm like, that's just no fair. That's just no fair, you know? We were talking about surgeries for older people. You know, you, you don't bounce back as quick. Abraham was 99 years old when he got surgery. They didn't have Novocaine then, okay? They didn't have anesthetics. It's just like here. They don't even have bullets to bite on. It's like, you know, just, I don't know, you're chewing this rock here, you know? Um, can you imagine the pain? I don't want to think about it. <laughs> but you know what's interesting about this? Abraham didn't delay in obeying the Lord. He did it the very same day. There's no delay in Abraham's obedience. He's 99 years old, and he gets circumcised. Listen, he doesn't expect anyone to do what he himself is not willing to do. So he himself gets circumcised. He leads by example. See, for parents, for dads, man, if you're not a self-controlled, faithful, honest, submitted person, don't expect your children to be. Because you can tell them all you want, but if they if you don't lead by example, they're not gonna they're not gonna pick up on that. Okay, they 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 see you, they hear, but they see you know. And there's there's like there's not a correlation there. But Abraham, man, he led by example. First one circumcised. Um, that's personal obedience. Abraham's like, I need to obey the. And 99 years old, it's like, oh, leave it for the young. No, no, no. I need to obey the Lord, and I'm gonna do it today. That's personal obedience. But then he circumcises his 13-year-old son. Listen, 13 years old, teenager. <laughs> it's like, you know, Abraham's like, well, you know what? I'll wait until he's old enough to make his own decision. I'm just, I'm not going to push him, you know. No. Abraham says, hey, buddy, <laughs> come here. <laughs> You're getting circumcised too. Oh, huh? <laughs> yeah, you are. What's that? That's parental obedience. That's where a father sometimes says, you know what? God has told me this, and you're going to do it. I, I'm sorry. This is just this is the way it is. I'm the I'm I'm the one. I'm responsible to God for this decision. I'm gonna. You're going to do it, and and that's he's he's being uh, parentally obedient. Sometimes a godly father has to make a decision for a child. And then not only was Ishmael circumcised, but all the men of his household circumcised. You know, can you imagine you're there? You're maybe you're one of the hired hands or something, and you're and Abraham's like, yeah, you you're next. And you're like, well, it's good for you. I'm glad you're. I'm glad you know you feel strong about that. But man, they must have really respected Abraham. They must have really respected him. He must have had some influence on these people around him that they were willing to be circumcised as well. That's what uh, it's called patriarchal obedience. Everything, everyone, excuse me, within his sphere of influence was impacted by what Abraham heard from the Lord and, and was willing to, to undergo the same thing. 
What, what a, it just gives you a, a picture of what Abraham must have been like. Listen, for a number of days, probably the older they are, the longer, but for a number of days, all the males in Abraham's household, which there were at one point there was like 318 servants, right, that went to go fight and, and deliver a lot in the kings of Sodom and stuff. So there was a lot of males. Every single one of them would have been incapacitated for a number of days, and they would have been vulnerable for attack. That's, to me, a great, tremendous step of faith in Abraham's heart. Uh, You know, just a tremendous faith in God. But listen, his household had great trust in Abraham's leadership. God told you that? Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll do it, Abraham. We we trust you because we know that you talk with God. You have a relent, man. We'll do it, too. You know, leadership, it's not something you can demand. Or you can try to demand it, but it's, it's earned. It really is earned. What a, what a leader Abraham was to lead by example. I think it's a great picture there. Well, we get into chapter 18. It says, Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of day. Listen, God the Son physically here is appearing to Abraham. It's known as a theophany or also a Christophany because uh, the Bible says no man has seen the Father and lives. So it's not God the Father that's appeared, but God the Son uh, has appeared here, uh, Christophany here before Abram. Verse 2, so he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. Listen, he's on the plains of Mamre, okay? If you've been up in that area up there, it's pretty flat. There's some mountains, but it's pretty flat. So he's sitting in a tent, and, uh, you know, it's not like five miles away, you know, there's just like, there's, I see three figures faintly coming, and, you know, and it's not like he's got like a couple hours, like, yeah, yeah, they're definitely, yeah, there's some people, yeah, they're definitely coming this way. No, it's, it, if you read chapter 2, or I mean, verse two, it's like he lifted his eyes and boop, there they are. It's like, they're there, you know? So the reason why I bring that up is that he didn't have a long time to prepare, okay? It's just like, they're there. Here are these three men are right here, very abrupt. And uh, so it's the son of God, and we find out later it's two angels, okay? Son of God and two angels. Verse, uh, the second half of verse two. And when he saw them, when Abraham saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground. And said, my Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by inasmuch as you've come to your servant. They said, do as you have said. You know, it may seem kind of strange, but this is oriental hospitality. This was the hospitality in that culture in that day and age. When someone came under your roof or under your tent, man, you, 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 just, you rolled out the red carpet for them, basically. You just blessed them. You fed them. You didn't even eat before. You know, you fed them first. You know, you did all that stuff. Um, and so verse 6, it says, So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly, make ready three measures of fine food find meal, knead it, and make cakes. Uh, now, think about this, you wives. How would you respond <laughs> on a moment's notice? Honey, my boss and two co-workers will be here in half an hour for supper. Quick, make some homemade bread. It's like, you got to be nuts, <laughs> you know? Uh, you can make it for yourself and eat it for yourself. In fact, you can even sleep out with the animals out tonight, you know? I mean, can you, I mean man, the nerve of him 
to do that right at the last minute. Um, listen, Abraham didn't just kick back, okay, with the guys and go, hey, Sarah, you know, take care of us, you know. We'll find out in a few minutes that he's going to run out. He's going to do some stuff too. It's not just he's not just going to watch Sarah go nuts trying to trying to prepare a meal on a short notice like that. But listen, how many of you wives, if your husband did something like that to you, would make sure that they never heard the end of it afterwards? Okay, make sure they understood. They they uh, you know they should have given you some advance warning instead of just quick thing. Listen, the reason why I bring this up in the New Testament, the Bible says we as Christians. And we're to be hospitable. We're to be hospitable. We're, we're to be opening up our homes. We're to be, we're to be, you know, uh, we're to be outgoing to people and, and take people in. And it's not just when the house is perfect and you're ready to entertain. Because I, I tell you, I've known people like this where you can, if, they, if you knock on their doors, they get very upset because you didn't give them an advance warning. You can't just pop in because, well, hey, my house might be a mess or I'm not ready to entertain, you know. Uh, that's, we're not to be that way. We're not to be that way. Um, we're to be just ready. And it, it doesn't matter. You know, we all live in, we all mess up our homes. You come to my house today, you probably see dirty dishes. Unless Teresa didn't before I left for church. No, she didn't. So you come to my house, there's dirty dishes. You might even see some clothes laying around or something, you know, or dust or whatever. But, but uh, you know what? You're still, in, you're still welcome at our home. Okay? Just don't look at that stuff. But you're welcome in our home. But seriously, you know, we, we used to go up to St. Paul. And uh, we go to church up there, and, and uh, it's an hour and a half drive. And nobody would ever, hardly, I mean, we probably count on one hand when someone would invite us, but most of the time, people would never invite us to their homes. And there was one family, they're like, they said, you can't come over unless you give us an advance warning. Because she was so uptight about her house being clean. It's like, come on, that's not being hospitable. So anyways, listen, Abraham, it's not like he was just, like he planned this, right? I mean, God just showed up. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, let's feed him. Um, it was obviously not Abraham's doing, but obviously it was God's schedule. And God abrupt, uh, changed or invaded their schedule. The Bible says some have even entertained angels unawares. Here's a literal example of entertaining angels. Interesting. Verse 7. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender good calf, gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. Now, when I'm reading this verse, you know the picture I get in my mind? How many of you guys know who Tim Conway was? Remember Tim Conway? He was on McHale's Navy, right? He was like the bumbling XO officer or whatever. But then he was on the Carol Burnett show. You remember Tim Conway? Some of you guys, you know, the, you know Tim Conway. He had a, he had a skit. He always did the, the old man. Remember the old man skit? And so here he's running. It's the, okay, it doesn't, it doesn't quite. Google it, okay? Google. Google Tim Conway, the old man. You'll get a kick out of it and stuff. When I read that, I'm like, here's this 99-year-old man running to the herd. It's like, <laughs> I could just see him. Oh, I'm going to hurry. <laughs> you know? Okay. I don't think it was quite like that. You know, I, I think he was probably a lot more healthier than that. But can you imagine a 99-year-old man running to the herd, grabbing a calf? Now, uh, whether the, I don't know if calves are willing to go with you all the time or not, but he grabbed the calf maybe by the scruff of the neck or maybe he got a rope around it or whatever, pulling it, I, and, and, he, and he gives it to a young man. And, uh, <clears throat> and he says, and, that, and the young man, of course, hastened to prepare it, verse 8. So he took butter and milk and the calf which we had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Now, the law of Moses didn't come till later, 
But if you notice here, there's something that's just not kosher here. What is the Lord, who's a Jewish guy, eating milk dairy products with beef? That's a no-no. That's not, that's not kosher, right? Interesting. Uh, apparently God didn't get that memo, but anyways. Um, eating beef and dairy together. Hmm. Listen, did the Lord God need to eat? You think it was famished? You know, I just came down from heaven, and man, I'm really hungry. You know, so, no, he didn't need to eat. The angels didn't need to eat, right? What was God doing? I think he's just being gracious to Abraham. Just being gracious. The Son of God um, eating a hastily prepared meal. I think it was just for Abraham and Sarah's benefit. Can you imagine you're watching the Lord God eating and he's getting crumbs from the bread. You know, it's, it's, it's in his beard. He had to have a beard, right? He's Jewish, right? <clears throat> and, and maybe the, the fat or the juice from the, from the beef is just, you know, it's just, just, just trickly. Uh, 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 Lord God, you're, uh, you know, you're trying to politely tell him he's got stuff in his beard or something like that. And then he takes this cup of milk and, you know, a big white mustache. <laughs> you know, it's good. We thought, we go, yeah, he's being irrespectable. But listen. What a beautiful picture of God stooping down to man, to us, to our level. God does that, you know. Jesus ate with tax collectors and, pro- and prostitutes. And all the people, all the, 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 the upright and uptight Jewish leaders, man, they're looking at him. They go, man, he's a glutton and a wine-bibber, man. I can't believe he's eating with those people. But Jesus was not ashamed to eat with those people like that. And I think what a beautiful picture, an amazing picture of the love of God. No, he didn't need to eat, but he says, yeah, go ahead. You can feed me. We'll, we'll eat. And he eats with them. What a beautiful picture. God stepping, stooping down to our level. Now, you know, it's not always a good thing that God steps down. We're to step up to his level, not them to stoop down to our level. But God's a gracious God. He'll come down to where you're at. It doesn't matter where you're at right now in your life. Maybe you've just blown it or you just feel really crummy. He's like, I just feel like I can't pray right now. I mean, God sees the way I've been. He comes down to our level. He's a gracious and a loving God. What an amazing picture of God's love. Verse 9, then they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, here in the tent. Now, culturally, in that culture, the wife would not have ate with the male guests, okay? They would have been separate. So that was a natural thing. But why would they ask the question? Obviously, they're sitting right by the tent because it's, <clears throat> she's right behind me. You know, she, Lord, she's right behind you, in the, you know, in the tent there. Why ask the question? I think it was so Sarah would hear. And I don't think Sarah was like, you know, huh? huh? I think she was like right at the edge of that tent. I mean, how often did they get visitors on the plains of Mamre, you know? How often did three visitors just show up and everything? And, and man, my husband's getting real excited about this. What's going on? Um, I think, obviously, Sarah, I mean, if she had a glass, if they had glasses, she probably had it up to the canvas, you know, listening, trying to hear or something. Um, <clears throat> so she's obviously standing right inside the, the tent, and she's straining probably to hear every bit of the conversation. And so why did they ask that? I think it was for Sarah's benefit. Verse 10. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure? My Lord also being old. (laughs) My Lord being old also. So here Sarah laughs, and unlike Abraham, 
she's going to get rebuked for it. Now, what that tells me is her laugh must not have been a laugh of joy, but it must have been a laugh of disbelief or mocking or stuff. You know, it's like, hey, <laughs> I'm already past menopause, and, you're, and I'm going to have a child. <laughs> yeah, right, you know. And Abraham, <laughs> I mean, look at him. He runs like Tim Conway. You know, you think he's going to have a child? <laughs> yeah, right. By the way, God... This is a miraculous thing. God, God changes, biologically reverses Abraham's biology, and Sarah's too. But, but listen, after Sarah dies, Abraham, how old he was when Sarah died, I don't, I don't have it here, but he marries another wife named Keturah and has more kids. <laughs> and the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Listen, Sarah had laughed and said this inside of her heart. And the Lord God says, hey, why did you laugh saying? See, the Lord God is basically saying what Sarah was thinking in her heart. Picture that, okay? You're laughing, you're thinking, <laughs> and God says, why are you laughing? <laughs> you know, it's basically, he's basically reciting what she did. And verse 15, but Sarah denied it saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. Think about this. She laughed in disbelief of God's promise. She was kind of mocking, I think. She also then outright lied to the Lord. He says, why did you laugh? Hey, I didn't laugh, so now she's lied to the Lord, God. You could almost, you know, you could almost, what could God have done? Well, he could have flamed the tent, right? Whoosh! There's a tent goes up in smoke, man. There's nothing there. He could have lifted the tent up and there's a little, you know, Sarah like, you know, um, he could have turned her into a pillar of salt or, or, uh, or uh, open up the ground and then the tent would fall in and Sarah would go, you know, and that's it, you know. Did God do that? No, he didn't. Yeah, he, she did get rebuked. But what a merciful God. What does he say to her? Man, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for El Shaddai? For the God who is able? Listen, like I said earlier, 75 years, uh, Abraham was 75 years when he had departed Haran for Canaan. 13 years after Ishmael is born. It's like, why did God wait that long? You know, listen, their bodies, there was no physical possibility for them to bear children. I mean, their bodies, like Paul says, they considered themselves good as dead. I mean, that, that, it's like there's no hope left. There's nothing physically possible. And that's just when God shows up and God does his work. And so some of you, maybe you're, maybe you're waiting and it's like, man, I, 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 I've been waiting this long and God has not answered that. Maybe God just wants you to get to the point where you're at the point where you just throw up your hands and go, God, I can't do it. It's just beyond me. And God says, okay, now let me do it. Now let me work and let me get the glory for it. And, and, you know, for you, if you're in that kind of a situation right now, just I hope you're encouraged by El Shaddai. Man, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the God who is able? Why don't you stand up? Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, thank you for the, uh, just the beautiful picture of you willing to come down to our level, Lord God, and Lord, I know you came down to my level when I was in the muck and the mire. And, and Lord, you, you, you came and you saved me, Lord God, and you cleaned me up and you gave me a, a plan and a purpose. And Lord, I, you've done that to each one of us in so many different ways. 
Lord, we thank you, Lord God. That even now, Lord, you, you still, Lord, you, you don't condemn us, Lord. But you love us. You encourage us to trust you more. And I pray for any of that or maybe, maybe they're, whatever their situation is right now, they're struggling, Lord. They're struggling and trusting you. Lord, maybe they feel like all hope is gone. Lord, may they, may they be encouraged by this passage of Scripture, knowing that with you all things are possible, Lord God. May they keep their eyes focused on you and trusting in you. Lord, may you bless them and answer their prayer, Lord God, I pray. So, Lord, thank you for your word this morning. I pray your blessing upon your people. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.